From our nation's capital, this is Naps Chat. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter and make believe it came from you. Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of NAPS Chat. I'm Bob Levy, the Director of Legislative and Political Affairs for the National Association of Postal Supervisors. There's no rest for the weary, at least in the postal arena. First, over the weekend, it was reported that Postal Service leadership responded to a lawsuit that challenged the controversial operational changes coinciding with the onboarding of Postmaster General DeJoy. And in that lawsuit, the uh, Postal Service decided to blame postal supervisors, managers, and postmasters for the recent mail delays. Please go to NAPS's website for the NAPS response to postal the Postal Service's ill-considered and unfortunate strategy. Second, House Oversight and Government Reform Subcommittee on the Government Operations conducted a hearing exploring the Postmaster General's alleged conflicts of interest and possible campaign violations. Third, the Senate issued a report that was critical of the Postal Service's operational changes and how it impacted service. Our guest today on AppsChat is Florida Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy. Representative Murphy is serving her second term in the House of Representatives, representing the Orlando area of the Sunshine State. In the short time she has served in Congress, she has become keenly concerned and involved in postal issues. Representative Murphy has co-sponsored H.R. 597, H.R. 2382, and H.R. 8015, as well as co-sponsoring House resolutions protecting six-day mail delivery, continuation of residential door delivery, and ensuring that the Postal Service remains a government function. Welcome to NAPS Chat, Congresswoman Murphy. So great to be with you. Let's just start about your background and your immigrant experience is extremely inspiring. I understand that you were an infant when your family escaped Vietnam, and the boat, the boat upon which your family escaped ran out of fuel and was rescued by the U.S. Navy. Could you tell us how your immigrant experience shapes your views of our nation and your outlook about your work in Congress? Sure. Um, you know, in the aftermath of the Vietnam War, uh, the communist government was consolidating power, and what they did would to round up people who had been affiliated with the U.S. government or the South Vietnamese government, and my parents were one of each, um, and sending them them to what was called re-education camps. And so my parents, looking at the prospect of raising small children in a country with no freedom and no opportunity, decided to escape by boat. They figured it was better for us maybe to die in search of light than to live on in darkness. And a U.S. Navy ship, as you said, rescued my family when we ran out of fuel uh, and were dangerously adrift. And for me, that was the first interaction I had with what I believe makes America great. And it's this unique combination of American power and American generosity. It's the power that allows the U.S. Navy to deploy thousands of miles from home, securing international commerce and um, making sure that there's safe passage at sea. And it's the generosity that had uh, sailors who were trained for combat decide to extend grace to desperate strangers. And when they provided us the fuel and pointed us in the direction of a refugee camp, and from there, a Lutheran church sponsored my family and relocated us to Virginia. And in Virginia, my family was very much working class. My parents worked multiple jobs. And they would take my brother and I with them at night to clean office buildings um, to make ends meet. And 
But I was able to get a quality public education, and my dad had a union in his corner um, ensuring that he uh, was paid fairly and had health benefits and could care for his family. And so this working-class immigrant family, you know, my parents were able to put two kids through college, the first in our family to graduate from college. And I went on to work in some of those office buildings that I used to help my parents clean. And now I am a sitting member of Congress. And I tell the story because it really, one, highlights the incredible country we have here. The, the, the story is the story of the American dream. And it also underscores why I'm so committed to doing the right thing in my job and putting people over politics and making sure that every American, no matter where they are born, still has a shot at this American dream. And my, I'm in my second term in Congress, and I'm proud to say that with that as my framework for how I do my job, I've been named one of the most effective members of Congress as well as one of the most bipartisan members. Those two things go hand in hand, my ability to work with whoever I need to in order to get things done on behalf of my community has enabled me to be effective. And I really have appreciated the interaction that I've had with your uh, your union. And I have a labor advisory um, meeting, you know, a couple times a year. And I try to use those as uh, a way to listen to the issues that are facing facing the postal service workers. And a great example is, you know, uh, one of your union leaders told me about how hard it is in Florida to deliver mail in uh, vehicles without air conditioning and um, how uh, there have been some negative health effects uh, for um, postal service workers. And so I was proud to work uh, with one of my colleagues from across the aisle to get uh, and to get some uh, an amendment to help ensure that um, the U.S. Postal Service can take all reasonable steps to ensure their vehicles are equipped with climate control units to help protect the health and safety of its mail carriers. And we were able to get it across the finish line. I, I think these, that's, a, that's an example of how the way I look at the world, the way I operate as a member of Congress, has directly been to the um, uh, to be able to advocate on behalf of your members. Let's talk a little bit about your relationship with one of your constituents and one of our members, and that's uh, Bobby Bach. Uh, he must be president of the Stephanie Murphy Fan Club. He's been promoting the Snapchat for the past week. Could you tell me how you came to met Bobby Bach and how that has, might sort of inform your position on postal issues? You know, Bobby, I, I think I met him in my first campaign, um, and he has been just a wonderful supporter and a great advocate for your postal issues. And in fact, it was Bobby that brought this heat, you know, related health issue to my attention during one of our labor advisory boards. And so, and, and that, you know, he brings all of the bills that at the national level, you want to make sure that your members know about, and we and he talks about all of the issues that we, we need to be aware of and advocate on behalf of that. But he also provides me with an on-the-ground perspective of what it's like to be a mail carrier in a, on, a, on a day-to-day basis 
And there wasn't, you know, any activity to address this issue, but he, he told me about the stats of the number of mail carriers who had suffered heat stroke. And of course, we live in Florida. The weather is very hot in the summer. And so he identified this and then worked with us to, to get the right language into, into law. Um, Bobby is a great advocate for your members um, in your organization, and I'm really proud um, to get to represent him in Congress, and I am grateful for his service on my Labor Advisory Board. Now, I know you've been tweeting and communicating uh, a lot with your constituents about the operational changes and the removal of mail processing equipment from, uh, from postal facilities, particularly in the Orlando area where you represent. I understand that so-called advanced face or cancelless system, uh, which is a high-speed machine used by the Postal Service to, to sort uh, face, you know, put in the right orientation and cancel letters, was removed from Orlando. It's capable of processing around 30,000 pieces of mail per hour. In addition, in the Orlando area, six delivery bar card sorters were also removed, and they can sort around 36,000 pieces per hour. Has your district uh, been impacted by the removal of this mail processing machinery? Well, let me first say that I believe the Postal Service is a pillar of our democracy. It's enshrined in the Constitution, and it's essential for delivering prescriptions, Social Security benefits, paychecks, tax returns absentee ballots to millions of Americans, including in our most remote communities. So the things that you are laying out, these are all activities that the president, enabled by his top mega donor, donor um, Postmaster General uh, Louis DeJoy, is waging a campaign to sabotage the election by manipulating the Postal Service to disenfranchise voters. And those those changes that you, meant, uh, you mentioned, they're all a part of a sweeping set of new operational changes that I believe degrade postal services and delay the mail and threaten to deny the ability of eligible Americans to cast their votes through the mail in the upcoming elections in a timely manner. And so we have received calls from veterans who have had issues receiving their prescription drugs and from families who have received delayed mail. People are wondering what is going on. And so I think it's really important for Congress to continue to shine a light on what is happening, to hold the uh, administration accountable, to, to execute on our oversight um, responsibilities. Um, unfortunately, the Postmaster General in some of these um, uh, hearings has, has refused to reverse the changes, admitting that he has no intention of replacing the sorting machines that were removed or the blue mailboxes or other uh, key mail infrastructure that has been removed and has no plans for uh, reinstating overtime, which is really critical for the timely delivery of mail. So I think we have to continue as uh, Congress to highlight this issue to the American people and hold uh, the Postmaster General accountable for these nefarious efforts to harm uh, the delivery of mail in the country. You know, most recently, Postal Headquarters leadership has attempted to shift the blame for these service reductions onto frontline supervisors, managers, and postmasters. Do you have a message to these postal dedicated postal employees who've apparently been scapegoated? So I used to be a um, public servant. I worked at the Department of Defense. I was a federal employee. I have found the 
this administration's rhetoric as it relates to uh, hardworking, dedicated federal employees to be appalling. And I, I guess my message to uh, these dedicated postal service workers is that, you know, I appreciate you and the broad majority of America understands how hard you work on a daily basis in all kinds of inclement weather to keep us connected as a nation, person to person. And without your service, we wouldn't have those those connection points that keep us united. And at this moment um, in time, we need that more than ever. And so I will continue to fight for you in Congress to fight to make sure that you're treated fairly and with the respect that you deserve for doing the quality quality job that you, you do on an everyday basis. And my hope is that we have leadership that recognizes the dedication and the hard work of federal employees and doesn't continue to degrade them in the way that this administration has. Now, I want to go back to something you you spoke about a couple of moments ago, and that was absentee balloting. Now, Florida has a history in absentee balloting, and I'm curious if does this experience in some way immunize Florida from problems that could come about with the, with regard to postal pro, the processing of absentee ballots? Or is this something you believe and you're confident the Postal Service will be able to deal with? You know, we in Florida have been doing vote by mail for um, a number of years. I think the recent um, primary uh, demonstrated that, you know, vote by mail continues to be a valid alternative in, in Florida. What we want to make sure, though, is that this coming election, whether somebody chooses to cast their vote by mail or go to a polling station in person, that our elections are safe and secure. And that means making sure that local election officials spend the money that we have allocated from the federal level to make sure that people can vote in a safe and secure way. We have better experience uh, with vote by mail in Florida than some of the uh, some other states that are just now implementing or, or having a massive expansion of it. I trust in the integrity of the system as a whole, but I think election infrastructure across the country can be overwhelmed by the stress of COVID. So we need to continue to provide additional resources and be vigilant to make sure that there are no unusual uh, activities as it relates to voting, whether that's voting by mail or in person at the poll. Since Florida, once again, will play a pivotal role in the national election, are you confident that Florida vote-by-mail operation will be secure and effective? There doesn't appear to be any indications otherwise at this moment, but we have to be vigilant. And I think this is also the reason why the House passed a big package to provide additional resources to our postal services and to try to roll back some of the administrative uh, changes that the Postmaster General um, made. You know, at the end of the day, when it comes to Florida elections, there there is nothing that is certain other than that it's going to be close. 
so we need to trust but verify and prepare for any kind of eventuality um, and prepare to defend our democracy in our elections. Yeah, I, I would be remiss if I didn't thank you and note that you voted in favor of three key bills that would provide relief to the United States Postal Service, H.R. 2382, which would repeal the uh, pre-fund, the retiree health pre-funding requirement uh, that costs the Postal Service some $5 billion per year, H.R. 6800, which is the HEROES Act, which provided $25 billion in emergency assistance to the Postal Service, as well as providing funding for helping to run elections around the country, in addition to providing certain other opportunities for the Postal Service to operate effectively. And H.R. 8015, which recently passed in a bipartisan majority, would provide, again, $25 billion in emergency assistance, repeal the Treasury Department's restraints on the use of a $10 billion line of credit, and would ensure that mail and absentee ballots would be treated as first-class mail. Could you explain your analysis of why these bills were so important to you? Well, the Postal Service is so critically important to our country, and especially at this moment um, in time when we're all struggling to get through the pandemic. And people are more dependent, as they uh, obey food, home orders and such, they're more dependent on their mail service than ever before. And I, I think it's really critically important that we provide support to these bills that would deliver key resources to USPS. You know, the, it, it's just we have to um, make sure that uh, USPS is treated fairly, has the resources it needs at a critical moment in time to deliver, uh, deliver the mail for the American people. And I, I'm really proud to support these bills um, that, that, that help support the uh, U.S. Postal Service. The last question, Congresswoman. You're on the Ways and Means Committee, and there's an issue that's very important to a, a lot of civil service retirement system retirees in the federal government, and that is what's known as the government pension offset and the windfall elimination provisions, both provisions which have a discriminatory and punitive impact on folks who participate in the civil service retirement system and in Social Security. That's, and you've co-sponsored H.R. 141. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. This is an issue that Congress has to fix. You know, it's not fair for certain public sector workers, including retired postal employees, to be burdened by a broken formula that overly limits the retirement benefits that they've earned through a lifetime of hard work. We need to fix this so that they can, they too can retire with dignity. And I know the Ways and Means Committee is looking into this issue, and Chairman Neal has spearheaded an approach that is narrow, targeted, and effective. And, I, and I'm really looking forward to us considering the issue as soon as possible. And while changes are needed, I, I believe we have to do this like we try to do all things, to do it in a responsible way that doesn't hurt future beneficiaries of Social Security benefits. You know, I'm, I'm worried that any sweeping change may create future challenges that would be equally difficult to solve. So our goal should be try to fix this issue without reducing the solvency of the Social Security Trust Fund. And it's an important issue. It's an important piece of legislation that I believe will be a likely topic for the next Congress. And I look forward to working on this in a way that is both bipartisan and effective. Well, Representative Murphy, thank you for joining us today on NAPS Chat. 
and we we wish you the best in the upcoming elections. And I know Bobby Bach will be out there uh, helping you along. Great. Thank you so much. We, we, we look forward to seeing you again and hearing from you, of course, after the election. To our listeners, if you enjoy Naps Chat, please leave a positive review on the Apple Podcast Store and tell your friends to download our podcast. Be well and be safe till next week. I'm gonna-